This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. The Alberta NDP say Danielle Smith is, quote, unfit to remain premier after a phone call between her and Outer Pulowski was released, in which she offers to help the controversial street preacher with his criminal charges. Conservatives are criticizing the Trudeau government's bail reforms after several recent attacks in Toronto, Calgary, and Vancouver, and propose a new bill to reform the criminal code. Five people have been arrested at two camps in the area where the disputed coastal gas link pipeline is under construction in British Columbia. Hello Canada, it's Thursday, March 30th, and this is the True North Daily Brief. I'm Rachel Emanuel, filling in for Anthony Fury. I'm Cosman Georgia. We've got you covered with all the news you need to know. Let's discuss the top stories of the day and the True North exclusives you won't hear anywhere else. A leaked phone call between Alberta Premier Danielle Smith and charge pastor Archer Pulowski has the Premier in hot water. The phone call was released one day after the Independence Party of Alberta turfed Pulowski as party leader. It reveals a phone conversation between Smith and Pulowski in early January, just weeks before his trial in Lethbridge on February 2nd. Pulowski faces mischief for allegedly inciting protesters to continue blocking the international border crossing at Coots, Alberta in early 2022. He is also charged under the Alberta Critical Infrastructure Defense Act with willfully damaging or destroying essential infrastructure. And he has a lengthy trail of charges stemming from breaching COVID-19 restrictions. In the call, Pulowski tells the Premier he's facing 10 years in prison and blames Premier Smith for not following through on her earlier promises to seek clemency. Smith tells Pulowski multiple times that she is unable to intervene in the legal matter during the call. In a press conference on Wednesday morning, NDP justice critic Irfan Sabir called for an independent investigation into the Premier's actions. That would come just two months ahead of a provincial vote. Sabir said, quote, She should not be talking to someone who's accused of criminal charges and telling them that she's somehow looking into it, he told reporters. Shortly after becoming party leader, Smith said she wanted to pardon those charged for breaching COVID-19 restrictions, but she abandoned those promises months later saying her justice minister said it would not be possible for her to interfere in the independent Crown prosecution process. In a statement Wednesday, Smith maintained that she nor her staff have not been in contact with the Alberta Crown Prosecution Service. Cosman, this is a super confusing story. There's so many moving parts to it. Basically, this story first erupted back in January when the CBC released a series of stories. One of those stories alleged that Alberta Premier Danielle Smith had been pressuring Crown prosecutors to change cases and she was sort of questioning their rulings on COVID-19 cases. As we know, she had said she wanted to pardon those who were charged for COVID-19 restrictions. Then she found out she was unable to do so. So the story changed and said she was pressuring Crown prosecutors. The Premier actually denied that story and she claimed that it was defamatory. That story was from CBC. And then they published another story. They didn't apologize. They didn't backtrack. But they published another story saying the Premier was inappropriately pressuring her Justice Minister and his deputy to again change COVID chargers. And there was also some questions about charges related to the Coots border blockade. 
Now, the premier has denied this story, but she's been unable to put it to bed. And this incident yesterday is really just the latest trail in a series of stories. And I can tell you, it has conservatives that follow politics in Alberta really worried. They're really worried that the premier hasn't been able to put the story to bed and it's going to cost her the election. We are really close to the election now. If it stays in the news cycle, it could be very problematic for the premier. But then again, it also has so many moving parts and it's one of those stories that's really confusing. And for a lot of people who don't follow politics super closely, they might just say, eh, I'm not sure what's going on here. I'm not going to look into it. I'm curious for your perspective. You're over in BC. Is this something that's been big in the BC news cycle or is this really only a story that people who are really in the know in Alberta are following? Right. So like you said, I think this story has two potential routes it could go it could get just so complicated that the ordinary voter just doesn't care anymore or there is eventually something so incriminating that comes out that it could put danielle smith uh, at risk of of re-election but we haven't i don't think we've seen any sort of hard evidence that there's been interference going on when we look at the federal level we actually had the justice minister, uh, you know, uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould, when she was under Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, coming out with clear evidence and testimony that the Prime Minister tried to interfere in the justice system. And I'm just not seeing that here. Absolutely. We haven't seen that hard evidence. The Alberta Crown Prosecution Service says they haven't been in contact with Smith in her office. The Alberta Justice Minister said his conversations with the Premier have remained appropriate. One of the main pieces of information here is that in that call with Arthur Pulowski, the premier says repeatedly, let me talk to prosecutors. And so many news outlets and pundits are saying, oh, well, she said she was talking to prosecutors. She's obviously referring to crown prosecutors. Then the premier's office is coming out and saying, no, we say prosecutors were referring to the Alberta Justice Minister's office and his deputy. And it's appropriate for us to converse with them. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm, I'm not a legal expert, but uh, what she said, it seems to be uh, quite careful and, and it's not as specific as the NDP or the media would like to see. And, and the other way that this could be uh, spun by the UCP government is, well, why isn't the NDP trusting the public service, uh, which has been saying this whole time that no... Uh, Danielle Smith did not try to interfere in this case uh, with regard to the CBC stories. So it's kind of strange that the NDP, who's always, you know, so pro-public service um, and and pro-government workers, they're not even trusting these people. That's another really good point. Something interesting with this story right now is the premier's office has come out and said that the media continues to get the story wrong. They're pretty much pointing at the NDP here. And while they've called past stories defamatory, now they're saying they're looking at taking action if these defamatory attacks continue. Now, the big question is, would it go over well if the premier actually does decide to sue the CBC? Of course, she would be using taxpayer dollars to do so. Ironically, the CBC is also taxpayer funded, so they would be defending their legal case with taxpayer dollars. Just a lot of taxpayer money floating around here. Do you think that would be well received by the public if she was to pursue a defamation suit? I think a defamation suit would probably raise some eyebrows. But then again, I I think all of this is typical pre-election, you know, outrage and and stuff coming both from the opposition and the media. So I think Danielle Smith has several tactics or strategies she could pursue. Uh, A defamation suit is definitely one of them, but I'm not so sure that is uh, the strongest tool in the toolkit here.
This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Conservatives are criticizing the Trudeau government's bail reforms after several recent attacks in Toronto, Calgary, and Vancouver. Speaking to reporters on Wednesday, Pierre Polyev said, The crime wave is the direct result of Justin Trudeau and the NDP allowing repeat violent offenders onto the streets again. This comes after several attacks rattling neighborhoods across the country. A 16-year-old boy was stabbed and killed in Toronto's Keele Station Saturday night by a suspect who had an extensive criminal history after assaulting a man with a box cutter last year. A 37-year-old man was stabbed to death in broad daylight at a downtown Vancouver Starbucks Sunday evening in front of his fiancée and three-year-old daughter. A 15-year-old girl was shot in Calgary's Martindale community on Tuesday and was pronounced dead on the scene. Also in Calgary, two women were taken to the hospital Tuesday evening at Lions Park Station. One was left in life-threatening condition. Later on Wednesday, Quebec Conservative MP Pierre-Paul Hughes introduced Bill C-325 to reform Canada's criminal code. The bill proposes to create a new offense in the criminal code for the violation of parole conditions. Paul Hughes said, Bill C-5 is an insult to victims of crime and we must do all we can to stand up for their rights and to protect law-abiding Canadians. The government bill, Bill C-5, amended the criminal code to remove mandatory minimum prison sentences for a number of offenses including drug convictions, firearms offenses, and sexual assault. Bill C-5 became law in 2022. In what world do you think the, our government is living in where they're pushing currently uh, reduction of mandatory minimum prison sentences? I have no idea what world they're living in, but they're obviously not putting themselves in a position where they're in these cities, downtown cores, and they're using public transit. And they're obviously not the ones who are feeling unsafe. These stories are absolutely blood curdling. They make me so angry because these deaths all didn't need to occur. The government needs to take serious offenders seriously and start imprisoning them in the proper ways. We can't have violent offenders on our streets. They're ruining our cities. People don't feel safe anymore. This young girl was shot to death in a Calgary community. Like this type of thing is unacceptable and our government needs to take immediate action to clean up our cities. Absolutely. I know here in uh, Vancouver, there was a statistic that came out from the Vancouver Police Department showing that there are up to four random attacks a day. So any person on any given day could be one of those four people who face horrific assaults from strangers. And we've talked about this before, so it really does seem to me that there is a disconnect between lawmakers living in this bubble, in this Laurentian bubble in Ottawa, who seem to be totally uh, detached from the realities ordinary people have to face going to work, you know, going to their service jobs where they could face uh, insults, they could face racism, they could face violent assaults. So do you think that this is going to be a, a 
more major election issue going into this next election? And could it cause trouble for the Trudeau government, which instead of, to me, it seems instead of cracking down on criminals, it seems they've seemed to have just slapped them on the wrist, made it easier for them to go out onto the streets and reoffend. I absolutely think it's going to be an issue in the next federal election. I also think it's going to be a huge topic in the Toronto mayoral race. Torontonians are fed up. They can't go on their subway and feel safe. There's young children who are being attacked and killed. As I said before, it's absolutely unacceptable. And you know, conservatives have long said, get out of cities. Okay, fine and well, but how long till the crime that's in the cities starts spreading out to more rural areas? It's not an answer just to say we won't live in cities. We need to start reforming our country and make it a safe place to live for everyone. And sure, the Liberals might be safe in their Laurentian bubble in Ottawa right now, but the reality is, in the U.S., House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, her husband was attacked in his home in San Francisco because the crime there has gotten so bad. And if the crime there continues as it is here, soon Laurentian Lorites won't be safe in their Ottawa bubble. That crime will continue to spread till nobody is safe. More protesters are causing havoc at construction sites of the controversial coastal link pipeline in British Columbia. On Wednesday, the RCMP revealed that they executed a search warrant and five people were arrested at two camps near the natural gas pipeline. The five individuals were arrested for obstruction of a peace officer. RCMP said four failed to cooperate with police direction and one attempted to prevent the search. The RCMP say they received a complaint on Sunday that the worker had been swarmed by a group of people wearing masks. The attackers reportedly fired flare guns, stole a chainsaw, and entered a work vehicle and poured liquid over it. According to a group opposed to the construction of the pipeline, the individuals arrested were mostly Indigenous women, including the daughter of a hereditary chief. The group says, quote, This harassment and intimidation is exactly the kind of violence designed to drive us from our homelands. The Coastal Gasling Pipeline has the support of 21st Nations Band Councils and the BC NDP government. Of course, anytime we're reading about pipelines, it's going to come attached with the story of protesters causing problems at the construction of a site. Cosman, do we know if there's been more violent attacks on pipeline workers, specifically on this project? Yeah, you know, three months after a violent attack on a coastal gas link work camp near Houston, BC, the RCMP has yet to announce any leads or arrest. You know, we saw that uh, those axe-wielding protesters show up and uh, assault a number of workers, damage equipment, uh, and and nothing is being done about it. I, I understand this is a politically charged issue. There are a number of, you know, stress points that conflate onto these uh, gas link pipelines, including the environmental stuff, the indigenous stuff. So it's very contentious, but it's totally unacceptable that uh, our government is letting these, you know, waves of attackers show up at these sites without any sort of protection for these workers where they're simply doing a job that the government has approved. And not only the government, but the courts have regularly ruled uh, that they're within their every legal right to be there. So it's it's outrageous. And this keeps happening And there's a a group of people who think that using violence and intimidation is okay to achieve their political goals. You're absolutely right that it's unacceptable that these workers can't feel safe while working on this construction project. I think the thing that's also really disappointing about it is we know that the Coastal Gas Lake Pipeline has the support of 21st Nation Band Councils. 
Now, First Nation groups are supporting this pipeline because they know it will provide jobs for their community, it will provide wealth, and it will provide prosperity. But we still have these radical leftist progressives that can't get on board. And speaking of that, you're over in BC. What do we know about groups that have come out and opposed this project, and even opposed, in some regards, the violence that we're seeing at the construction sites? Well, actually, particularly at the coastal gas link, there are encampments there, and people need to understand that these encampments are like there year round, and they bus in activists from around the country who who live there, and it makes one question: like, where, what, where are they earning money? How are they making money to sustain their their life up there as professional activists? And what we see is uh, an, a number of NGOs that you know support. Uh, these the actions of these protesters. So there is a really intricate community uh, of uh, protesters, NGOs, and different groups that have an interest to oppose this uh, pipeline. And we know that there's 20 First Nation band councils that support this pipeline. Our media and our government is letting a loud, angry uh, minority voice uh, rule the conversation. And we saw this with, you know, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau when he negotiated uh, with the Wet'suwet'en protesters who were one out of uh, a number of other indigenous groups who, who supported that project as well. So it's it's outrageous that we're letting uh, just such a, a radical group dominate the conversation. That's it for today. And don't forget to tune in at TNC.news throughout the day for all the news you need to know. And if you're able, please consider supporting independent media. You can do that over at donate.tnc.news. Thanks for listening and have a great day.